Hey, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nemec of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. It has been a busy week. We knew that recruiting would really pick up starting June 1st because that is when the NCAA's 15-month-long dead period was finally lifted. We're finally out of the cloud, the fog that was the COVID-19 impact on recruiting for more than 15 months Prospective student-athletes could not meet with coaches in person, which meant they obviously couldn't take unofficial or official visits to campus. Now, they could technically visit a campus, but they weren't allowed to tour anywhere that wasn't open to the general public, and they weren't allowed to meet with coaches. So we knew starting June 1st, things would really ramp up. We're not there yet. And yet still, kids are getting ready, they're scheduling their official visits, and the ever-present transfer portal uh, doesn't rear its ugly head, it rears its beautiful head for both the Oregon Ducks and Oregon State Beavers in the past week. We will get to all of that and more, some big visitors for the Ducks, some big visitors for the Beavers, but we have to start with the biggest news of the week. All ACC forward, Syracuse transfer, Quincy Guerrier announced his commitment this week, choosing the Oregon Ducks over fellow finalists Arizona State, Illinois, and Memphis. An absolute monster, monster get for the Oregon men's basketball program. And I, and I talked about it last week. We led with the show. We led last week's show, breaking down potentially what was on the table for this Oregon men's basketball program. They go into the season or into the off season with. Not a lot of warm bodies to compete. They had Will Richardson and Eric Williams Jr., who both potentially could have moved on. It does sound like they're going to come back. So you got Will Richardson, you got Eric Williams Jr., and then you've got some freshman bigs. You got Frank Kepnang, big time talent, number five center in the nation, played last year, was an early enrollee. He gets to come back because last year, I guess, technically doesn't count. So he could either come back as a sophomore or a freshman, depending on how Oregon wants to list it. But but he's not necessarily a proven all-conference guy. He just shows flashes. They bring in five-star center Nathan Biddle, the number nine prospect in the entire country. You do expect him to contribute right away, but he remains a little bit of an unknown. And then you return in Fale Dante, a former five-star prospect, but the last time we saw him, unfortunately, he was dealing with a serious knee injury, an ACL injury that kept him out for most of the year. He did post back-to-back double-doubles in his last action with Oregon last season, but you don't really know what he's going to be like coming back from an ACL. It does sound like he's going to be fully healthy and practicing at least a month before the season really gets rolling. So he is on pace to be a part of this team and be fully healthy. That's about it coming back. Will Richardson, Eric Williams Jr., and Fale Dante, who's going to shake off the rust from an ACL, Frank Kepnang, and Nathan Biddle. That's a nice core, but there's a lot missing along the wing spots entering in this offseason. So what does Dana Altman do? As John Rothstein from CBS Sports says... Dana Altman aligns Rubik's Cubes. He takes pieces and finds a way and makes it all mesh by the time March rolls around. Well, he needs those pieces to be able to do that. Starts off the offseason by adding Devion Harmon. Devion Harmon, a sophomore from Oklahoma, started as a freshman, started as a sophomore, was the second leading scorer, averaging right around 13 points a game last season for the Sooners. A nice piece, an absolute potential plug-and-play. He was an all-conference guy. You expect him to be a plug-and-play piece that potentially could be an all-conference shooting guard. So right now, you've got Will Richardson and Devian Harmon, one of the best backcourts in the entire Pac-12 conference. And oh yeah, by the way, Eric Williams Jr., potentially as your sixth man, or depending on what lineup you 
want to use. You go three guard lineup and he plays. So you like the backcourt. But I don't necessarily think you feel like it's completely filled. So Oregon goes ahead and gets first team junior college All American Rivaldo Soros, six foot six, first team junior college All American. As I mentioned last week, that path, that starting point is very, very similar to Chris Duarte. Chris Duarte was a junior college first team All American. He was a six foot six playmaker. He comes to Oregon, has a good first year, and then really builds into being a likely first-round NBA draft pick in year two. Rivaldo Sores, originally out of Boston, Mass., plays junior college ball in Texas and commits to Oregon. He had offers from coast to coast by the end of his recruitment. 15.6 points per game, 6.8 rebounds. I don't know that he's an immediate impact player. The junior college to Pac-12 jump is significant. And even Chris Duarte, who proved he could do it, was not a superstar day one. He certainly flashed. He was certainly a valuable rotation piece. But he wasn't a guy necessarily that you thought, this kid's going to come in and be an all-conference guy from day one. Rivaldo Sores has three years to really develop at Oregon. And I do expect him to be a very valuable piece by the end of it. But as of right now, I think we can comfortably project him as a rotational piece. We don't have to project him as a starter. He's not expected to be a starter. And I think because of that, that's a really nice addition when you're trying to talk seven, eight-man rotation to really fill out what you're doing. So coming into this week, Oregon, great backcourt, a lot of centers. But with Eugene Amarui gone, Eugene Amarui, an all-conference performer, 15 points per game, seven rebounds per game, you need that production from the forward spot. You've got to have a versatile forward, an Elgin Cook. A, a, a Chris Boucher kind of played more of a center role, but Oregon has had that role, that kind of stretch four forward that's done a ton for you, he, not only as a rebounder, but, but as a potential scorer, as a creator. They needed that guy, and that was the final kind of piece to a starting recipe, to a seven- or eight-man rotation that you go, man, this Oregon team is really good. Will Richardson's potentially an all-conference guy. Devian Harmon's a potential all-conference guy. And Fale Dante, I believe, when healthy, is a potential all-conference guy. Then you get great minutes, potentially, out of Biddle and Frank Kepnang. And oh yeah, by the way, Eric Williams Jr. is a really nice rotation piece. Rivaldo Soros is a nice rotation piece. You needed that one more guy, potentially, to create an elite starting five, enter Quincy Garrier, who comes into his uh, recruitment this week. He's got Illinois in there. He's got Oregon in there, along with Arizona State and Memphis. Quincy Garrier went through the recruiting process in the class of 2019. Oregon was in the final three. Oregon, Illinois, Syracuse. He had Canadian roots. He was a top 75 player, not in the country, but in the class of 2019. He's from Canada. We can't actually say in the country because he's from a different country. Big-time talent. And Oregon all along has done a great job recruiting in the, in the country of Canada. They've had a number of quality Canadian prospects. So when they get their hooks on a guy, one, they've got the connections to know about him early. They build that relationship over the course of a couple years, and they really generally have a really good shot with great Canadian prospects. Even Jamal Murray, who was, you know, everybody thought blue, uh, blue blood prospect tried and true. Oregon had a really good shot with him before he went to Kentucky. If you're a big-time Canadian prospect, Oregon generally has a shot with you. So when Oregon missed on him in 2019, that was a big disappointment at the time. You certainly felt like they had a shot. Well, two years later, he averages 15 points, seven boards per game, eight boards per game at Syracuse, enters the transfer portal, and is really the piece that makes you suddenly go, this Oregon team's a top 10 or top 15 preseason team. 
it wasn't that long ago, five or six weeks ago. We were looking at this roster going, okay, Will Richardson might come back. Eric Williams Jr. probably comes back. And Fale Dante's coming off a knee injury. And then Frank Kepnane and Nathan Biddle are freshmen. And that's what you had on the whole roster. And you're going, uh, is this finally the year where it all catches up to Dana Altman? And the answer, of course, is no. Because Dana Altman might be a basketball wizard. So they get Devi and Harmon. Now you've got a great backcourt. You get Rivaldo Soares. Now you've got a deep backcourt. You've got size at center. And I know Oregon has been criticized a little bit for a lack of size. I don't see that. I haven't seen that. Not only do they have Infale Dante, but they bring in, in this last recruiting class, Nathan Biddle and Frank Kepnang. And they've got a, a player who was on his Mormon mission from two years who's also six foot eleven, seven feet tall. So they'll have four guys who are six eleven, seven foot or taller on the roster. And that's without even adding anybody from when they started getting criticism from ha- not having any bigs. They've got a bunch of bigs. The issue was having some size, some rebounding, and a forward presence, and they get it in Quincy Garrier, who, listen, I think Rivaldo Suarez has a chance to be very good. Devian and Harmon has a chance to be an all-conference guard in the Pac-12. And I still think Quincy Garrier is the biggest non-traditional recruit addition of the offseason. Nathan Biddle is the biggest splash this offseason. I don't know if from freshman day one, he's going to be the star of the in- incoming talent when you've got all conference players coming in like Devian Harmon and Quincy Garrier. But in terms of ceiling, Nathan Biddle, the number nine recruit in the nation, is likely going to be an NBA lottery pick. Now, he's six foot 11, 200 pounds, and I don't think he necessarily lacks the size and physical presence to be an elite rebounder from day one. And that is the hidden value of Quincy Garrier. That's the thing about Quincy Garrier that people aren't going to talk about, that maybe even the Oregon basketball program doesn't talk about, that I, I strongly believe has huge value. Quincy Garrier's presence gives Oregon a four who can score and who can be physical and rebound. You already knew you had that in Frank Kepnang and Fale Dante at the five spot. Biddle, potentially, without Garrier, was going to have to be the four that not only was a reliable scorer from day one, but also was a big contributor rebounding. If you've seen Nathan Biddle, I think he's going to be a fantastic basketball player, but I don't necessarily think he's physically ready to be a mauler inside in the Pac-12 conference. So instead of kind of having to pigeonhole Nathan Biddle year one and say, we kind of need you to play the four and we kind of need you to get seven to nine boards a game. And by the way, we need you to be a a viable scoring threat from day one in the Pac-12. Instead, they can have Quincy Garrier, six foot seven, 220 pounds to go inside and bang. They kind of fill out every real need they have on a basketball court where you say, okay, we need a shooting guard. Devian Harmon, got it. Will Richardson, point guard, got it. Couple of bigs who can rebound and protect the rim, got it. A power uh, stretch four who can shoot from outside, can shoot from inside, got it. Depth at guard, Eric Williams Jr., Rivaldo Soares, got it. Nathan Biddle now gets to just naturally be what he is. They get to bring Nathan Biddle in and say, okay, in Pac-12 play, what are you comfortable with? He's the number nine recruit in the nation. He's going to be comfortable with a lot. But instead of saying, man, I'm sorry, we need you to play these minutes at this spot because we don't have a guy, he can just play and give productive minutes wherever he naturally fits. Year one, Nathan Biddle gets to find his footing. If he thrives from day one because he's the number nine recruit in the nation, so be it. If he's like other freshmen 
who are very good and show flashes but are incomplete. They're not yet complete slam dunk mega stars like a Zion Williamson or an RJ Barrett from day one. If he's a guy that's going to take some seasoning, he gets to do in year one what he's really comfortable with, mature both physically and in terms of basketball IQ in the Pac-12 conference and learn that stuff and then really hit his stride in year two. I think Nathan Biddle more likely because of his size is a two-year guy. And I think he's going to be show a lot of flashes in year one, and I think he's going to have games where people go, man, this kid's unbelievable. But like a lot of other freshmen, I think he's going to have some games that are pretty quiet that you say, that's the number nine kid in the nation? Because I think people expect when you're the number nine recruit in the nation in basketball, you're an 18 and 10 guy right away. It's not how it works. I think he's going to have some really good games. I think he's also going to have some quiet games. And then I think his sophomore year, potentially we could see a big explosion where he competes for conference player of the year. I think Nathan Biddle potentially could be very similar to Evan Mobley in two years. That's, that's what he could be, truly. I, I, if you've watched his highlights, that's what he could be. Evan Mobley's being talked about as a potential number one pick, certainly being in the discussion for the number two pick. That's what Nate Biddle's ceiling is, that good. He's that good. But I also think the jump from Oregon high school basketball, and I know now he's at prolific prep for a little bit, but the jump from Oregon high school basketball to Pac-12 basketball to NBA basketball in 570 days or 700 days or whatever it will be, that's a really steep learning curve. And it's possible he needs, an, he needs two years in college to get there. But this Oregon team, I mean, you saw people come out of the woodwork to say today, this is a top 15 team. This is a top 10 team. This is a top 12 team. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a program that was incomplete in terms of its roster five, six weeks ago. What is Oregon going to do? And all Dana Altman does is align those Rubik's Cubes and, and find the cubes to a, therefore align during the season. He needs the cubes to get, and he found them in Harmon and Sores and obviously Biddle and Kepnang coming in early. And now he gets Quincy Garrier, and suddenly this Oregon basketball roster has a chance to have as high a ceiling as any basketball roster we've seen from Oregon in quite some time. And I, I listen, I know about Dylan Brooks and Tyler Dorsey and Jordan Bell and Chris Boucher and Peyton Pritchard. That was a great nucleus. It was a fantastic nucleus. But the core of that team and what made that team special was not necessarily that just they have one All-American and then a bunch of pieces. It was they've got four or five guys who can go off for 20 at any given time. And if you focus on this one guy, you know, if you focus on Tyler Dorsey, Dylan Brooks is going to cook. If you focus on shutting down Brooks and Dorsey and not letting them penetrate, you have to worry about Chris Boucher. You have to worry about Peyton Pritchard from the outside. They could attack you in, in a ton of different ways. And I think that's what we're going to see with this team. Will Richardson, everybody knows what Will Richardson is, and he certainly feels like he potentially could be an all-conference guard next year with a little growth and development. He's shown flashes of taking over games, especially last year when he got healthy. Devian Harmon's already been an all-conference guy in the Big 12. Quincy Garrier's already been an all-conference guy in the ACC. In the ACC. In Fale Dante, last time we saw him, was starting to be the guy we thought, the five-star prospect. Eric Williams Jr., we've already seen him have nights where he goes for close to 20. We've seen him have those nights where he's on, where he can contribute a lot of different ways. Frank Kepnang is growing into a role. Nathan Biddle's a top 10 recruit in the nation. There's a very good chance he has explosive nights, and suddenly Oregon can score a bunch of different ways and throw a bunch of different looks at you. They could have a lineup on the floor that's Quincy Garrier, Nathan Biddle, Eric Williams Jr., Devian Harmon, and Will Richardson. Essentially, three guards, 
a small forward, and then a 6'11 guy who can play anywhere from really the three to the five. Or they can go big on you and go Infale Dante, Frank Kepnang, Nathan Biddle, Quincy Garrier, and Will Richardson. Will Richardson being a point guard, you kind of need him on the floor. But that's 6'7", 6'11", 6'11", 7 foot, 7'1". Those are two very distinct lineups that are very real that Oregon can throw at anybody and be productive and have proven scores and, and proven players on the court with either of those fives. It's incredible what Quincy Garrier does. He almost opens everything up for Oregon. I do think he was the most valuable transfer. I know Devian Harmon's a great player. He's a great player. Started since his freshman year at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a good program. But Quincy Garrier is going to be an essential piece, and I think Oregon fans are going to fall in love with him. By the way, he's only played two years. So he's got two or three, depending on how the NCAA wants to play that, where he can play at Oregon. That's, that's what they're getting. It's not a one-and-done guy. Same with Devian Harmon. These guys have a couple years. This is a special group Dana Allman's cooking up. And he's done it, and he's put the pieces together in just the last few weeks. Really, really, really impressive stuff. Really impressive stuff from Oregon. And that's why I spent so much time on it last week. Because I could see it coming. The buzz was growing. And by the way, last week I mentioned, and I'll mention it again, Oregon still might not be done. They technically have three spots left. Three scholarship spots left. I think it's the most likely guy to watch right now is Rutgers guard Jacob Young. Again, the younger brother of Joseph Young, who was the conference player of the year after he transferred to Oregon from Houston. He had a very, very good, uh, very good, very long professional career. Some of that in the NBA. Joseph Young also played in China. I think he's had a couple games where he's put up like 50, 50 pieces overseas. Uh, Still doing his thing. Joseph Young has a lot of trust in this Oregon staff. Came to Oregon and they turned him into a conference player of the year. Jacob Young's a very good player. 14 points a game at Rutgers. And Oregon might need a guard, another guard, to come in and play 20 to 25 minutes a game and you go, we just need a scorer. We need a backup point guard for Richardson, but a scorer who can attack, who can create. Because I like Eric Williams Jr. He's not necessarily an attacker. He'll shoot the, he'll shoot the corner three, he'll shoot the three ball, but he's not, a, he's not a scorer at all three levels kind of guy. Jacob Young is. And suddenly, if, if Oregon is able to pull that off and get Jacob Young, you're looking at insane guard depth. You're looking at six, seven, six or seven, maybe eight, six or seven, certainly, guys who have already proven that they can put up double-digit points every night in college basketball. That's unbelievable. Richardson's proven he's that guy. Devin Harmon's proven he's that guy. Quincy Garrier's proven he's that guy. And Fale Dante has certainly shown flashes of being that guy. Jacob Young could be that guy. Eric Williams has been that guy. Oh my gosh. I mean, you're looking at so many different guys who can put, put the ball in the hole. It becomes really tough to stop you. And then not only that, with the length Oregon's going to have, protecting the rim with Dante, Kepnang, and Biddle, they could be really good defensively. This could be a scary, scary basketball team. Again, there is a reason you're seeing the national guys when they added Quincy Garrier suddenly go from Oregon was kind of a bubble top 25 team before Quincy Garrier. I think John Rothstein put out he had him 12th. I think I, I saw somebody tweet that they have Oregon now in the top 10. I know for certain Oregon right now is top 15 for me. I mean, if you just look at the landscape. And as I mentioned last week, people keep talking about Arizona and UCLA are always kind of there. They got these big time recruiting classes. They've been great. They're going to be stellar again. And it's going to be scary for Oregon. It's going to be scary for the rest of the Pac-12. Here comes UCLA. Here comes Arizona. 
And every year by the end of the year, it's Oregon that wins either the regular season or postseason conference crown. Four years in a row. Sweet 16, Oregon again. It seems to just happen every year. And this might be one of the deepest teams he's ever assembled. Again, particularly if they get Jacob Young. That's probably the next name to watch. No guarantees by any stretch of the imagination. It's far from a slam dunk, especially with all the talent they've added. I could see Jacob Young looking at it and go, is there, is there 20 to 25 minutes a night for me? I think there is. I could see them adding Jacob Young and suddenly having just a ridiculous team. An elite eight as the goal type of team. A Pac-12 title as the goal type of team. We got to take a quick break. When we get back, I'll lay out some of the big-time visitors for the Oregon Ducks, the Oregon State Beavers, and go over a couple of commitments that the Beavers picked up this week that are going to be part of the the football team this season. They added a couple pieces that are going to play this year. Some late additions. We'll get to it after that. I promised when we came back from break, we would go over some big visitors for both the Oregon Ducks and Oregon State Beavers, as well as going over a couple of Oregon State commitments. I want to start here with the biggest name of the visitors that have come out in the last week. Raleek Brown. Raleek Brown. R-A-L-E-E-K Brown. The number one all-purpose back in the country out of modern-day high school. He's committed to Oklahoma. Has said this week that he will visit both USC and Oregon. If you've followed recruiting in the last few years, the fact that a highly rated modern day kid would want to look at Oregon and USC probably doesn't shock you. USC has always been kind of the pipeline school for modern day kids. Oregon has certainly uh, rained on that parade for USC in the past couple years. In 2019, Oregon picked up a trio of modern day kids, four-star linebacker Mace Funa, four-star defensive lineman Keon Ware-Hudson, and four-star running back Sean Dollars. Last year, modern day produced Under Armour All-American Jalen Davies, one of the top five or six corners in America. He signed with Oregon. Oregon has built a pipeline to modern day, but they are not necessarily the end-all be-all for those modern day kids. Look no further than Kyron Ware-Hudson, the Under Armour All-American receiver, committed to Oregon flip to USC last year. So the battle for modern day kids between Oregon and USC is very real. And there's going to be major ties for a guy like Raleigh Brown to both. He's going to know former teammates at both USC and Oregon. He's going to have coaches who know people on Oregon staff very, very personally, very intimately. They're going to know each other. He's also going to have coaches on his high school staff who know USC coaches very, very well. And oh yeah, by the way, he's currently committed to Oklahoma. Had a chance to talk with Brown uh, after it came out that he was going to take an official visit. He has not scheduled an official time yet, an official day, but he will take one in June again to Oregon, USC, and also to Oklahoma. And the thing that stuck out to me talking to him was that he's not doing this lightly. This is not a frivolous uh, peek at what Oregon and USC have to offer before he just says, okay, yeah, I was right. I'm going to Oklahoma. Oregon, he said, was his dream school as a kid. And that he's taking this visit very seriously. I think Oregon certainly has a chance here. Do I think it's a slam dunk? No. No. He's committed to Oklahoma. And he's committed to Oklahoma for a reason. And he's also taking an official visit to Oklahoma. The Sooners are obviously his leader. He's committed there. But this isn't just a flippant, I'll check out Oregon, I'll check out USC before I make a decision. I think this is a very real top three for him. I do think Oklahoma's in the lead. 
But I think if he had a great visit to USC or a great visit to Oregon, I think either one of them could and probably will flip him if his visits go well. So this is very real. The number one all-purpose back in the country, a top 60 recruit nationally. He'd be one of the top-rated running backs Oregon's picked up in a long time. And man, we go back now and look, and I, and I know there are some big names in Oregon's past. You know, Maurice Morris was the number one junior college running back in the nation. Ruben Drones was a big-time running back coming out of the JC ranks. Obviously, Jonathan Stewart, five-star running back recruit, one of the highest-rated recruits ever. DeAnthony Thomas, I know he played a hybrid running back wide receiver role for Oregon, but you kind of say he was, I mean, whatever you want to call him, if you want to call him a hybrid weapon. Also another highly recruited kind of running back receiver. And oh yeah, by the way, Royce Freeman as well, uh, not a five-star recruit, uh, kind of in that tier just slightly below the Jonathan Stewart and DeAnthony Thomas guys, but he, he was a top 35 recruit in the nation, the number one running back in the West region going to Oregon and then sets the Pac-12 rushing touchdowns record. Oregon's had a long history of producing really good running backs. And that doesn't even account for the lower rated guys coming out of high school who have been superstars. Whether that's Derek Lavelle or... LaMichael, LaMichael James or Kenyon Barner, they've had a number of great running backs. I've got to mention Saladin McCullough as well, coming out of the junior college ranks. Saladin McCullough, a five-touchdown game against Arizona, was the school record, still is tied for the school record. Saladin McCullough, another special back Oregon's had. And kind of the, the, the thread through all that, all those highly rated, highly productive guys, was Gary Campbell. Gary Campbell moves on, and, and I would not say by any stretch of the imagination that Oregon's been bad at the running back position since then. That's not true. But they haven't had the same all-conference, all-American caliber talent. C.J. Verdell's a very nice piece. Showed a lot of promise, but has also been banged up and been hurt. And that's part of the reason he wasn't the most highly rated kid coming out of high school. They were worried about his ability to stay healthy because he's smaller back. I, I like Travis Dye. Old school, no gloves, Travis Dye. But when you watch Travis Dye play, you don't look at him and say, man, that's one of the top 10 running backs in the country. You just don't. And Oregon went through a stretch, a long stretch, where it seemed like they almost always had one of the top 10 or 15 running backs in the country, like clockwork. Again, Kenyon Barner, LaMichael James, Royce Freeman, Ruben Drones, Saladin McCullough, Maurice Maurice Morris, Ontario Smith, uh, who I I left out earlier mentioning all the running backs. Derek Lavelle. They've had a number of great running backs. I think Raleigh Brown could, could potentially, if he goes to Oregon, kind of reignite that tradition. You could make an argument, not necessarily in terms of what they produced in the league, but in terms of what they produced in college. Oregon was among the handful of schools you'd consider for running back you. LeGarrette Blount also in that mix. I mean, the number of running backs that Oregon's produced that were 1,000-yard rushers, that were all-conference rushers from 92 till, gosh, 2018, it's, it's unbelievable. And sure, again, it's highlighted by some huge names, the Jonathan Stewart's, the LaMichael James. But, I mean, again, Maurice Morris, Ontario Smith, LeGarrette Blunt, Ruben Drone, Saladin McCullough, those are just kind of transfer JC guys they've gotten. LaMichael James, Kenyon Barner, highly, highly productive, but not highly, highly recruited. And then the, the highly recruited guys, Jonathan Stewart, DeAnthony Thomas, and Royce Freeman. They've done it every way. They just brought them in and produced. Gary Campbell moves on, and suddenly that tradition again gets kind of tamped down. Do I think that Oregon 
has the has the ability? Of course. If I'm Mario Cristobal, the first thing I do when Rollick Brown comes for a visit, I say, hey, 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 our facilities are great, but we want you to walk by and meet our offensive line and see if you can even see the wall, the other side of the room, when your five offensive linemen come to shake your hand because they're huge. Run behind these guys. And if you go back and you remember what Oregon's recruited in the past year, and I mentioned this a number of times during signing day, Oregon's offensive line signees last year, it lapped the field in the rest of the Pac-12. Oregon signed the top two offensive tackles in the West region. Both of them were top 12 offensive tackles in the entire country. The next best single guy in the entire Pac-12 at tackle was in the 30s. The next one was in the 40s. Oregon signed two of the top 12. The entire rest of the Pac-12 only signed one in the top 40. Oregon signed the number two guard in the West region. Oregon signed the number one center in the nation. All of that goes to say Oregon, in terms of what they can do for opening holes for future running backs, far surpasses what an all-star team of the rest of the conference can do from a recruiting standpoint. You still have to develop them. Gosh, look up to Washington. Jackson Kirkland played at Jesuit High School. I love the kid. I ranked him really high. I thought he was phenomenal. I talked about him and talked about it. How is this kid not being recruited at a Pac-12 level? Oregon finally offered. Then Washington offered. His dad played for Washington, and he committed to Washington. He was a three-star kid. I just listened to a mock draft, and he's predicted as a top 25 pick in the NFL draft next year. Jackson Kirkland out of Jesuit. So there is something to be said for development. But at the same time, if I'm Oregon, I, I can sell facilities, but I can also sell my offensive line is going to come in with more raw talent here. If you come here, if I'm Mario Cristobal, my offensive line is bigger, better, faster, stronger than entire collection of what the best of the rest of the Pac-12 has to offer. So you can come run behind those guys or you can try your luck at USC, who frankly isn't recruiting offensive linemen even in the same stratosphere as Oregon right now. That'd be my pitch. That'd be my pitch. And oh yeah, by the way, facilities and offense and Moorhead and Saquon Barkley and yada, yada, yada. Rollick Brown, visiting Oregon. Exciting visitor for Oregon. Oregon State's got a big-time visitor of their own. And I'm not sure people fully understand the swings that Oregon State is taking right now. And I think we're getting there. I think we're warming up to Oregon State fans looking around and going, oh, shoot. Maybe Nimick was right that Oregon State could have been a much better recruiter than they've been the last four or five years because now they're suddenly getting these visitors on campus that are much better. David Bailey, he's the number four outside linebacker in America taking an official visit to Oregon State. And we're seeing this. I mentioned last week, the number eight offensive guard in the nation is taking an official visit to Oregon State. The number 19 offensive guard in the nation is taking a visit to Oregon State. Oregon State is suddenly recruiting semi-regularly guys who are in the top 15 to 20 players in America at their positions. Where the heck was that for three or four or five years? It's almost like I wasn't being a hater I was just telling the truth. You know, I've gotten emails, I've gotten some DMs, and I've, and I've gotten some, some tweets from people saying, man, your Oregon State coverage is so much more positive. You've really, like, you know, come out of your shell here and, and been positive about Beaver Nation. I haven't changed a thing. 
I haven't changed a thing. Oregon State's changed. Their approach is smarter. Their facilities are better. Their pitch is better. They're going after a higher caliber of kid, and because the messaging is better, and because they've got four and five coaches involved in every recruitment, the profile of the kids that they're getting on campus is better. And oh yeah, by the way, as I mentioned last week, prior to the 15-month shutdown, all the buzz I was getting from kids who visited Oregon State was that their visits were awesome. That wasn't what was going on during the Gary Anderson years. People were like, eh, I was bored. That wasn't what was happening anymore. It was, this visit is cool. Their facilities are way better than I thought. This was a great visit. I could really see myself going to Oregon State. And I'm not talking about three-star kids. I'm talking about kids who had offers from half the Pac-12 or more. Quality, quality, high-level talent. The message is more positive for me because the results are more positive in Corvallis. Oregon State might recruit their best recruiting class not in program history, but in my time covering, the, covering recruiting at the Oregonian, which is five or six years now. This might be one of the best recruiting classes Oregon State has ever recruited. The talent's better. The guys they're getting on campus is better, are better. Generally speaking, your hit rate's your hit rate. You get a guy on campus, he's at least interested enough to visit. Your hit rate's your hit rate. Some programs, a little bit better than others. Alabama, Clemson, really high hit rate in terms of guys visiting and they commit. They have that luxury. They're the top programs in the nation. But across most of college football, your hit rate's your hit rate. You hit it around. As long as your visits are pretty good, you hit a certain number, certain percentage of recruits. So the very best thing is to get as many good recruits as you can on campus. And if you hit your 35, 40%, you're going to have a pretty good recruiting class. Oregon State is elevating the standard within their football program, and it shows. It's obvious. And I think Beaver Nation should be really excited because they are going to continue to be big, big names. But David Bailey, when David Bailey pops up on the list and confirms his visit, and you know I'm doing my lists, and it's like, oh, David Bailey's going to... I'm putting together my, my list of visitors, and, and one of the coaches down there says, I think David Bailey's coming to, come, coming to Corvallis, man. You should add him to your list. And I hit up David Bailey, and he's like, yep coming to Corvallis, uh, that's a huge deal. And that's worth mentioning right away. Again, Oregon State recruiting at a better clip than they have, getting more interest from high-level kids than they've gotten in a very long time. And I think it's going to play out on signing day. If I were a Beaver fan, I would start to follow football recruiting and basketball recruiting a little closer. You're seeing Tinkle hit it in the transfer portal. And you're seeing this Oregon State football program under Jonathan Smith hit it a number of different ways. But the profile of the kids they're getting to visit, the profile of the kids they're getting is a lot better. It's interesting. The landed two commitments this week. Both will be added to this season's roster. Both are moving to Corvallis soon. Uh, the first being Minnesota defensive tackle Keontae Shad. Keontae Shad played in double-digit games during his two years at Minnesota. He was recruited in the class of 2019. He was the number two defensive tackle in America, uh, out of the JC ranks and had offers from all over. He had some huge offers, some big time offers and chose Minnesota believer in PJ Fleck row the boat, the whole deal. So he goes to Minnesota, doesn't fall in love with it. Keontae Shad, six foot three, 295 pounds. I do expect him to compete for a starting job at defensive tackle immediately. If you follow the Oregon state program, let's be honest, you know, you know that right now they have a dearth of talent at defensive tackle. They just don't have those bodies. 
They don't have that six four, three hundred pound guy. That six foot three, two hundred eighty five pound guy. They don't have him in the program that, that they're ready to play Pac twelve football. Keontae Shad has proven that he can play Power Five conference football. I think that was a big get. I don't think Keontae Shad's going to have four sacks next year. I don't even think he's going to do that. I think he's going to plug up the middle and he's going to stop the run. And if you're an Oregon State fan and that doesn't appeal to you, I don't know what to tell you. You don't like football because that's what they need. It's good to go out and get what you need. Yeah, it would be lovely to get a 14-sack defensive tackle. We'd all love to have one. But the reality is if you're Oregon State, you're thinking, you know what? We need a defensive tackle that can slow down the running game on first and second down. Third down, we're coming off the edge. We need somebody that kind of contains things in the middle. Quarterback doesn't leak out through the middle and run for 15 yards. Fine. Placeholder. But on first and second down, we got to stop the run. Keontae Shad's going to be that guy. They also, this week, pick up a commitment from Gabe Milborn, a three-star tight end, six foot six, 240 pounds. Uh, versatile tight end. I like, I like what he brings to the table. Reminds me a little bit of Ke- uh, Tegan Quatoriano. I don't necessarily see the Luke Musgrave. Those are kind of the two prototypes right now for Oregon State, right? You've got kind of your traditional uh, good receiving tight end, and then you've got the the big body blocking tight end who is a capable receiver in the red zone because of his size, but isn't necessarily electric in space. Tegan's the second one. Uh, the first one that more receiving tight end is, is Luke Musgrave. I, I think Gabe Milborn is, is maybe a hybrid or more on the Tegan Quatoriano side. You need tight ends. Everybody in college football wants to spread you out. And I think while everybody else is spreading you out, it seems to me that coach Smith wants to get bigger, play a lot of two tight end sets, run the ball, run play action, throw the ball to big body tight ends and, and be physical in the Pac-12 conference. I think they see defenses getting smaller to try to deal with the pass, to try to deal with the spread, to try to deal with the versatility that is modern college football. And I think Oregon State might want to smash in the mouth. So you're going to need tight ends. I, I have read the criticism other places that why would Oregon State go get Gabe Milborn? Again, he's a class of 2021 guy. So most of the kids from the class of 2021 signed in December. Why make such a huge effort when you've already got Tegan Cadoriano, you've already got Jake Overman, you've already got Luke Musgrave? Well, the reason is this is a kid they, they've been recruiting for more than a year. This was a kid that they offered last spring. It's not that they reviewed who was still available and went, oh man, we sure could use another tight end. This is a guy they identified early. Gabe Milborn just has a protected Twitter account. He doesn't share a lot. He's from Sonora, California, and there's not a tremendous amount of attention on their football program. They didn't play until later in the season, uh, in the school year. So he kind of flew under the radar in terms of recruiting attention. But in terms of his desire and, and Oregon State's desire to add him, this is a piece they've wanted for a long time. He said, throughout my entire recruitment, Oregon State never stopped contacting me and never stopped talking to me. They recruited me through the whole process. Again, they offered him last spring. So they've been recruiting this kid for more than a year. Why did he wait? He said he was making the biggest decision of his life, and he wanted to see whatever university he was going to go see in person. So a couple of weeks ago, his family went, we think it's Oregon State. He said, let's go take a road trip. They drove to Corvallis. They walked in the buildings that were open to the public. They didn't get to meet with the coaching staff. They kind of walked around campus and he said it felt like home. He liked the feel of campus and he committed. End of story. There's this narrative that, you know, Oregon State could have gone out and tried to find another piece and they landed on a tight end and that like this is who was left after signing day and this was who the guy they picked. 
One, I think Gabe Milborn is a valuable piece given that they want to run a lot of two tight end sets. He's 17, 18 years old, and he's six foot six, 240 pounds. There's a whole lot you can do with him. But also, this wasn't a Johnny-come-lately recruitment. This wasn't a reset the board after everybody else is signed and see who's still there and prioritize other kids. This is a kid they prioritized pretty much from day one. So to go ahead and get him, to get Keontae Shad, I think you got a developmental tight end for the future when Tegan Cotoriano and Luke Musgrave leave. I think both those guys are going to play in the NFL, whether it's undrafted free agents or late-round picks, mid-round picks. Uh, I think they're going to have a chance to play on Sundays. I do. You're going to need to fill that production. I think Jake Overman uh, fits the Luke Musgrave role. I think they need a Tegan Quatoriano role. And they need a guy who will be not upset about not playing day one. A guy who they can develop. A guy who isn't going to be ready this fall. Probably red shirts. But is going to be ready two years from now when they say, we need you to play 60 to 70% of the snaps when we're in two tight end sets. And I think that's what they got in uh, Gabe Milborn. In terms of defensive tackle, they needed one this offseason in the worst way possible. Anybody who pays attention to Oregon State Twitter, that was a common thread. Where are we going to get our defensive tackle? We need a defensive tackle. They finally got him, Keontae Shad. I like the piece. I think he's got a chance to play from day one. If he's a pretty good player and he lives up to what people think he's going to be, I think he probably starts from day one or darn close. If he's who they think he is, I think he probably starts from day one. If he's not... If he's not who they think he is, if he's more of a developmental guy, I still think he's a rotational piece that plays quite a bit because they needed defensive tackle help. How's that for a rundown? We got some visitors, the number one running back in the nation, all-purpose back in the nation visiting Eugene, the number four outside linebacker in the country visiting Corvallis. Oregon gets an all-ACC producer at forward that I think becomes the straw that stirs the drink and makes this at least a Sweet 16 team next year, if not an Elite 8 or better team. I think this is going to be suddenly, quietly, quickly, efficiently one of the deepest, most talented teams Dana Altman's ever had. And I follow Oregon basketball really closely, so I don't say that flippantly. This is going to be a very, 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 very talented Oregon basketball team. I think you're going to have nights where six or seven different guys potentially are going to have 20-point games. Not all at once, obviously. They're not scoring 140 a night. But I think you could see six, seven, eight guys on this roster have a 20-point game next year. And there aren't a ton of teams that can say that. And then on the gridiron for Oregon State, they add a couple pieces. And they're not, they're not sexy pieces. If this were the NFL draft, they would be the fifth or sixth round guy that you go, okay, projectable, we can plug him in a defensive tackle that could stop the run, but probably isn't going to get at the quarterback valuable piece. We need him, but he's not your, you know, first round pick. It's recruiting. I'm just making an analogy here. And then Gabe Milborn is a nice piece, developmental piece at tight end, maybe in an NFL draft in terms of if this were college football and they did a draft, he'd be like your six round pick that you say, listen, we need depth at tight end. We need a developmental piece at tight end. We like his frame in, in high school. He lined out wide and played wide receiver, had over 500 yards receiving playing just basically pure receiver in a shortened, condensed football season. He's a receiver, except he's 6'6", 240. So he gets in a college weight room and he's 6'6", 260. And now you're talking about something really special because he can block, he can catch over the middle. He's physical. He's a red zone threat. I really like it. It's just probably two years away. Thank you for listening to The Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We'll be back next week 
with another episode and another recruiting rundown.